Thank you everyone for coming along. My name is Jide Adetunji. I'm one of the co-founders of Guap. Um, so for those of you who don't know what Guap is, we are a youth-led digital media platform dedicated to documenting, showcasing, and discovering emerging creative talent. So we started off in 2015 as the world's first video magazine. That was our first ever platform. And the aim behind that was to just provide and showcase different role models to people from backgrounds such as myself who are lacking representation and lacking positive people within their communities to look up to. So we just set out, me and my business partner, Ibrahim, with an old camera, just going around and documenting people, doing cool things. Um, and then over time, we just developed and things got more and more and more serious. And um, today, like Benita was saying, we just wanted to come together to celebrate us, you know, existing within the UK, because sometimes there are parts of our experience that often go untold and unshared. Um, but today, we wanted to create a safe environment for everyone to kind of discuss their journeys and speak. So we have an amazing panel here. I'm going to get you lot to introduce yourselves because I know I won't do you justice. But I've got three really, really important questions for you lot. Um, don't think about it too hard. I just want your answers off, off, you know, off the top of your head, innit? and we'll come back to why it's important. So if we start from you, Van Lee, um, could you guys just introduce yourselves, your name, what you do, and where you're from? My name is Van Lee Burke. Um, I am from Birmingham, and I take photographs. Um, my name is Erin. I'm a visual artist and art director. I am from London, but my parents are from two different Caribbean countries. And that's me. My name is Abundance Matanda, and I'm like a poet, writer, which is about from Tottenham. <laughs> but you know, I've been about living the South, living the East. I'm here. <laughs> that's it. Um, hello, my name is Bilal. I am a diversity and inclusion trainer, podcaster, facilitator, youth worker. Well, so I do a lot of different random stuff. And I'm from Northwest London um, by way of Jamaica and Kenya. Cool. So the key question there in which I asked you guys is, where are you from? So, you know, as people like us who have grown up in the UK, that question is always quite complicated for us. It's like you never have one defined answer. It kind of depends on who you're speaking to what room you're in, who's around. But I noticed that all of you lot kind of led by saying that you're either from basically somewhere in the UK. You know, you kind of brought in, you know, where your parents are from originally. Um, but I just wanted to ask you lot, is that a question that you guys have kind of struggled with answering as you kind of, you know, lived in the UK? I used to struggle with it. Um, it used to be, I used to find the term being black British, like an, oxy an oxymoron. I used to be like, oh, I don't know how they mix. But this is, as I became a teenager and I was probably immersed around more black people, I realized there was a, there was a way of describing myself. Um, and I guess when I'm abroad, I first say, yeah, I'm from London. And I don't say England, I just say I'm from London to specify like, I, I think I ident identify with the city first before I identify with the country. But then if someone from the, like the city asks me where I'm from, I'm like, oh, I say North London, but uh, my mum's from Guyana, my dad's from um, Montserrat, and they're like, oh, okay, cool. Um, and there's always assumptions that come with my identity. People always assume I'm Nigerian. Sometimes I run with the lie, depending on which room I'm in. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that is, yeah, it's had it, I've evolved into just being able to whittle it down real quick. Real quick. Your abundance because I know you're from like half Congolese and then like, what's the other half? Uh, is it Ivorian? Uganda. Uganda, that's even it. that's longer because <laughs> <laughs> my dad's Congolese and then my mum's half Uganda and half Pakistani, innit? But we don't know the Asian side, long story. But <laughs> I think for me, like, I'm very interested in my heritage, like, probably even more than my parents. Like, bro, I'm Congolese and I'm Ugandan. Oh, and I've probably got some Asian relatives somewhere on the planet. So it's like, I'm proud of that, so I don't mind it. It's a mouthful. I'll chat to anyone about that, but it's just so much easier to say that like, I'm from North, I'm from South, whatever. But then even that, because I've lived in Tottenham and I've lived in Kenya, and it's like, in my heart, I'm a South girl, but I really know I'm from Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but it's, it's not a thing. Like, it's a conversation, yeah. of which I think is something that if you're like just a white English person, you might not understand that. Like I have a lot to tell you about where I'm from, but... Yeah. 
What about for you, Bilal? Because I know yeah. both your parents have like dual heritage, right? Yeah, well, my mum does, my dad doesn't. But I think it's really interesting. You touched on the fact that it's a mouthful. Like sometimes I've talked to some of my white friends and they've been like, wow, where are you from? And I've told them I've gone through like the entire like essay paragraph. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, where are you from? And they're like, mum's just boring. I'm from Kent. Like, it's not for me, But for me, it changes depending on where I am. So it's context. So when I'm in Jamaica, I am English, right? Like, to everyone that's in Jamaica, it's like, you're English, why? Like, my grandma does not want to admit that I'm Jamaican, even though I am. Because that's, I, in this country, I would say I'm Jamaican because that's where I'm from. My upbringing here has been a very Jamaican upbringing. But when I go home, as in home in inverted commas, to my grandma and to everyone else out there, because of the culture of which black British culture is, it's very different to like an actual Jamaican culture rooted in Jamaica. So I find it, it changes, my answers change depending on where I am. I, I don't really bother where you talk, but where you call me. I don't, I don't care where you think I'm from. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for me, I think I became quite conscious that I am from African descent quite early and I just leave it at that. For me, we spend far too much time thinking where we come from. Uh, we need to just get on with the work that is necessary. Um, I don't mind what you call me. I answer to most things. That which I don't like, I won't answer to. <laughs> and that, that, is f that is fair enough. <laughs> so all of you guys are creatives in your own right, you know, curators, speakers, you've got a podcast as well, photography, and all of these things are to do with documenting. I don't have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you should start one. That might be good. <laughs> but um, all of these things are to do with documenting culture. Um, but I, I guess my question here is, what moment for you guys kind of defined black British culture? Like, you know, for you growing up. So for me, I grew up in South London, Peckham, Bermondsey. And one of the defining moments for me was Damilola Taylor passing away. Um, and I think that was just because that was the first time I looked at somebody who, who had a tragic story like that and I could really relate. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, the area that he was, the CCTV captured him before he passed, I, I run there as well. So that was like a really defining moment for me. Do you guys remember any moments that kind of really made it hit home, you know, your identity in this country? I, I've never really felt that I, um, I, I don't really associate with an identity in this country. I mean, I know it has been a problem, and the photograph that we, I think you glimpsed the boy with the flag is a good example of that. I was quite conscious of the day when I took that photograph of this young man riding in the, in the park with the, with the, with the Union Jack, that um, he, 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 would he create it too, um, because we were so bound up with the, the thing about identity and belonging and the empire and all of this and mistreatment of souls and things. And um, there's this young guy riding in Hansel Park with the, with, the, with the Union Jack on his bike. And it was, I, I equated to um, a Catholic kid riding through Derry, London, Derry with a Union Jack on his bike. You know, you imagine him being dragged off his bike. Um, but the story is very, very simple. He basically made the bike and he wanted something to decorate the bike. And he went to the shop. There was either, it was either he used the windmill or he used the flag. He felt the flag wouldn't fall off, so he bought the flag. <laughs> and the rest is history, you know. So, you know, for me, um, yeah, it, I, I don't really fuss, but I, I, I think it's important, this whole like, identity thing. For me, you know, once I, I sort out who I was, I'm, I'm from African descent, and there will be complications mm -hmm. along the way. I don't particularly want to know whether I'm half, quarter, two-thirds, one-third, or, you know, who my great-grandmother is. In that context, apart from their relation to me, what I'm interested in, what is the subject, and how do I get to the bottom of it, which for me is my work. So what about for you guys? Is there any like key moments in, in history in the UK that you know really hit home for you as a as a black person in this country? Um I'm a nineties child and I have elder siblings, like a lot of three elder sisters and so they're like one of my sisters, my elder sister is fourteen years older than me. So by the time I'm like in primary school, she's like a big, big teenager living her real life. And um, I just remember, I think I realized I was black at primary school. I think I, I realized that in nursery because I used to just hang out with this other black girl and I didn't know why, but when I got to primary school, I realized because the, the white kids told me like, you're different and I was like, okay, cool. But I think <laughs> it was 
first, the first my, I think my first moment was Melby being Scary Spice. Yeah. She was like everything for me. I was like, cool. When we used to play like Spice Girls, I was like, I already knew how I was going to be. I was like, it's not, it's not a debate. It's not up for debate. It's me. You could do what you're doing, but we all know who I'm going to be. Um, and then I think after that, um, I just have this memory when I was in year four, my sisters had gone to Ayanapa and it was like the height of the garage era. And I don't know if, if everyone's familiar with it, but it's like, that to me was like when I realized, oh, this is a space for black people to just be them. And they have sound and I was about eight, so I'm starting to realize it's theirs. And my teacher asked us to write a story about something. So I wrote a whole story about my sister's going to Ayanapa and um, <laughs> <laughs> them saying boo. And I was like, yeah. And I, I was like, I was so proud. And he, I think, because he was a young teacher, he was really, he was really encouraging. But I just remember that moment of thinking, like, I'm proud of their experience that so I'm going to put into whatever fictional story I had to write. And from that onwards, it shaped what music I listened to. Like, so solid ended up being so important for me. And, and then them charting and then. I'm not realizing the significance at the time, but now when I look back, it, it was me sort of starting to see, I want to be there, I want to be with them, do you know what I mean? So that was for me. Um, for me, I think kind of similar to Jibbe, it was a bit of a, like a traumatic thing. Like when the riots happened in 2011, because I'm from Tottenham, isn't it? So it's like, I'm there in the living room watching like the high road burn and it's like mm. right they're gonna come close to the house like oh i know that's the carpet shop that's what my carpet is like that's crazy. just bare things it's just mad and then it's like it just nothing made sense and it's like i'm just thinking okay like what does this mean and then i remember it was the summer holidays and like yeah. i went to school like just over in enfield everyone's calling me are you safe is your house all right and it's like oh like I'm from Tottenham and you lot were from Enfield and I didn't realise it was such a thing. So that's even just like a postcode thing. So I didn't even, it was just bare things like, okay, so there's a whole thing like in London and then like this is spreading to other cities now and and then people in America are like, oh my God, London's burning down. <laughs> and it's like, this is all just because a man got killed down the road. And then mm. it's like, I was young. So maybe like two, three years later, I started like, I don't even know why, but I was just like researching like the, actual the whole palaver of the riots like the way it was covered in the media the sort of debates people started having about it and just like i guess like the legacy of mark duggan's death and just like i started looking into like the whole history of like tottenham's relationship like between the community and the police and i was just like i've lived here my whole life and that like, this has just been going on like and then like, it's just so weird i think from then on I was just like, okay, like it's actually important to like know yourself and to like know your voice and be proud of it, however you sound, however you look. Like people are gonna judge you. They're gonna like Fanny was saying earlier. People are gonna write your story anyhow. Like <laughs> end of the day, it don't matter. Like are you good? Can you get from today to tomorrow? And like, just like everyday things just became very like heavy on my mind. Mm -hmm. But then it's like before that, I guess the area I'm from, the family I have, it's like almost like Erin, it's like there's that pride, like, yeah. like I just, I'm who I am, how I am, like, it's mad. And it's you. <laughs> <laughs> I wish you could end uni essays like that. <laughs> <laughs> For me, I think, I'm going to bring through those themes together, the idea of, I was going to, I was going to talk about so solid, but <laughs> I won't anymore. And the idea of like music and also the conflict kind of theme. Uh, for me, it's carnival, man. It's Notting Hill yeah. carnival, which for many people, if you know or not know, like Notting Hill already had a fair, right? There was already Notting Hill fair. But then there was a conflict that happened because of the black community in the area. And then suddenly it got reclaimed and became a space for like black people to celebrate their culture. And the fact that that started in what, the 60s? And like, look where we are today, like 2019, it's still going on. It's still about the relationship between like blackness and celebrating culture, but also this like implied conflict between the police and everyone there. And it's implied between like everyone there trying to fight the police and that's still being a theme. But for me, it's that year on year celebration. So it's not a one time moment. It's a moment in history where it began. But it's also like every year up, it's a place I can go and go, wow, look what we've done, man. It's like the biggest community led carnival in the world. Like this is something that was created by black people, for black people as a space to celebrate. And also not even to celebrate, but to almost like a space of revolution as well, like an act of revolt against the conflict at the time. So 
I, I have to say I admire the the, um, the confidence of the youth in their, um, their their future in this country, but I have to say I'm still very pessimistic with the racism that is taking place, with the fact that we've had to struggle so long to get heard, to be heard. I mean, uh, one of the big questions I'm asking at the moment is who control, how who allow the artists to speak, who are the gatekeepers? Mm -hmm. um, you go in some of the institutions and the only black people you see are those who are carrying the trays at, at, at opening or the ones I refer to, um, not disrespected to the people, but the, the, the process, which is one I refer to as the, the Doberman. And these are guys who dress up in black suits and white shirts and they guard, guard the nation's treasures. And, you know, don't touch that, you know, you know, <laughs> sort of thing. And I, I, I really am not very comfortable um, you know, in, in seeing the space. And sometimes, because I'm always talking race, I just sometimes say, okay, let's just remove race from the thing. Let's just say class. And you'll find the same thing. These institutions do not reflect class a lot of the time. They speak to themselves. They speak about themselves. They are people you will have um, uh, curators um, who speak a weird language, really, that I don't <laughs> understand. Uh, so the person coming through from, you know, some estate down the road, first of all, the, the, the place is just like a different space. And how do you enter? How do you engage? What are you supposed to think? And you come into some spaces again. And this thing called conceptual art, wow. Oh, my God. I mean, sometimes I, I think both people should be <laughs> put up on the wall. I mean, I really think it's a waste of time, some of these things called conceptual. And everyone comes in and holds their glass and look very pretty and drink this thing. And, and they don't understand the crap about what they're looking at. You know, how do you challenge it? I think it's for you guys to shake up these things. You can't sit back, you know, and be docile, consuming all of that crap. Exactly. So I, I think racism is a particularly nasty piece of um work yeah and it affects everyone I and agree. i even with the carnival you talk about carnival it's good but in birmingham we don't control the carnival so we haven't had carnival for several years mm. when the city council feels they have enough money we have a carnival mm. you know um so how do we i think what neil here sits here mm. represent um he, he doesn't mind me saying he's always saying are you making enough money from this thing we are in a, a, a capitalist society, and in order to speak, um, Poppy's nodding his head like crazy here. Um, in order to speak loudly, we need to be able to facilitate that process, and sometimes that takes capitalism. And it's about how do we work with those capitalist structures to be able to change our environment and the environments around us. But I don't feel comfortable. Yeah. Still. And, and that kind of leads me on to my next question as to who are some of these gatekeepers that are kind of controlling not only you know the spaces that we can enter and, and, and use, but also our perceptions and of ourselves. So kind of touching on the media and some of these inter institutions, so abundance, you're a curator, so you've worked with quite a few institutions and you know, just kind of what, Bilal, you two, you, you've been on BBC quite a few times, so you've experienced what it's like to be on, on their camera. You know, what, how does that kind of, how does it feel to you guys to kind of work with these institutions and you know, do you feel the microaggression? <laughs> I think uh, sometimes it's like you can tell there's such a disconnect mm -hmm. it's like you've come to me to like talk about and I'm very interested in like girlhood and like like the black experience of like being a girl wherever you are across the world like just like being in the hood or whatever that's my thing so it's like it's not something I'm interested in in a voyeuristic way like I've lived that I've grown up around that that's my people experiences so it's like when i talk that it's very authentic it's real but that's not something that i'm not going to go around saying like oh yeah like i'm real chat to me like i know what to do it's like my work kind of speaks for itself so when people do approach me or like they hear my ideas it's like you have to understand there's baggage that comes with that and i think people don't really understand that say like we're working on an exhibition and i'm talking about girls who've died on the roads that's affected me as I'm talking about it. Yeah, I have the strength to like speak about that properly and try and be as respectful as I can, but it also hits home. And I think sometimes you're working in an institution and they're so like pressed about trying to be like relatable or down with the kids or whatever, but it's like 
this is real life and it's like I think it kind of relates to I think the only thing that I see that's similar is when people talk about drill music and they try to like ban drill or whatever and it's like that's it's real life like you can't stop people from talking what they know and just because you don't know what it is like a night campaign or an Adidas campaign is not going to sort this youth's life out and I think sometimes it's like you look at people and it's like momentary things don't mean jack and I think for me like I'm so interested in like longevity and like actual genuine relationship building and I know like I'm young like I don't really understand how these things work but it's a very like step by step like trying to figure things out kind of process and it's like sometimes I just look at people and it's like I don't trust none of you because you're just rubbish like (laughs) you know people are just like they just want to be like hot like like, that doesn't mean nothing to me so I think I don't know I've got testicles anyway so it's like when you come into a workplace and it's like people are trying to talk about things that are personal to you I think it can be hard for me to like separate my identity from the work that I'm talking about so even when Vanny's talking about our like where you're from doesn't really matter I think that's the root of where my work starts so it might even take me time but I don't know I'm a patient person it is what it is but yeah I don't know it's just crazy even sometimes I've worked with like curators who are black or like they're mixed race and it's like just on site I think oh yeah you're gonna get me huh <laughs> 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 listen it's when it comes to like the actual like the talking stage is always nice it's like oh you rate my ideas I rate them too that's why I'm here but then it's like <laughs> when it gets to like when it gets to the actual like nitty gritty and like the deadlines and the like managing your life and then it's like your responsibilities are happening it's like well, my brother's going through this and my work is not even too far off from what I'm having to live in. It's like, I don't know, juggling priorities and everything's just mad. I don't know, like, and then I think, okay, I'm trying not to ramble too much, but I think in the last couple of years, like, I've just deeped what it is to, like, be from London, to, like, be from a capital city and just, like, how much of an advantage that is. But just because, like, I don't know, so say without the riots, like without having seen Tottenham on TV in that situation, I don't know when I would have ever clocked like raw, like my high road isn't like it's actually a thing to have a high road, like it's a thing. And then it's like say I'll go to another country or another city and it's like, Rah, you're from London, huh? This same day you talk no, what are you talking about? <laughs> so it's like I don't know, it's just weird, like my head actually I have more questions than answers. So Moving on to you, Bilal, like, you know, having worked with different media publications and all of these things, you've seen a world that not everyone has, has kind of got to see. So what's been your experience of working with the media and how do you feel they represent us as black people? They don't. Um, quick, one couple of things to say is, one, like, there's a reason why Guap exists, right? There's a reason why platforms created by pe- black people for black people exist. Because in the mainstream media, that's not an image or a voice or a narrative that we see. I've got to shout out my boy Patrick who's sitting over there because the other day um, for the podcast that we run we're invited to the government department for digital culture, media and sport to do a talk for a Black History Month event and all it was talking about is the, the title of the event was Taking Up Space and I questioned that title in the first place being like what do you mean taking up space? If someone's taking up space on the tube they're getting in my way man they're getting on my nerves versus like occupying space and creating space is a very different narrative mm. and whenever black people are involved in something it's you're taking up the space because that space the implied thing is that space didn't belong to you in the first place and that's something that i see in the media all the time right when we are invited to places the t-shirt i'm wearing under this says token right because i feel like often i'm invited to places as a token voice as a minoritized voice and, and as an individual so i think there is a current trend which has happened in the past i take that um, whereby the media has jumped on the bandwagon and realised that, wow, they can make money out of black people, you know, let's get them on things, let's see what they've got to say. But then what's not happening is actually the investment and the funding in what black people are producing and creating themselves. So that, for me, is where the, where the problem lies. And there's also a current thing of, like, corporate brands just jumping the influencer bandwagon, getting the, like, young black people that are trying to make some peas out there. Cool, get your sponsorship deal, my friend, but also they're going to drop you as soon as the money's gone. And I think that what's important for us in terms of like who are the gatekeepers, well, they're white, straight, cis men, let's, let's be real, and they own big corporations. And in those big corporations, what they're doing is bringing us in when we can tick a box for them. What they're not doing is actually investing in the ground work from the bottom up. That's fair enough. That is very true. So, 
you know, feeling that one. Um, just okay. I want to go into a positive note for a second. Um, are there any people you know who you've maybe watched over the years? I mean, you guys spoke about Soul Solid Crew, people like uh, Mel B. Were there any people that you kind of saw in the media from like a young age that? kind of did represent something positive to you. So for me, it was football, Thierry Henry, like, you know, I got my first Arsenal kit when I was like 10. It was fake, but I didn't know at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Until I went to the park and my friends let me know, but that's a story for another day. But who who was that kind of um, person that was in the media that kind of represented something positive for you guys? Do do you want to start? For me, it was people like Malcolm X, Marcus Garvey, although he was wasn't around, but he was present in in, in the media at times. Um, there was Martin Luther King. There was a struggle in America. There was the whole South Africa Mandela, um, um, and the the, the culture at times was part, you know, was part of Africa Liberation Day. Um, and so, if you like, mine is very much suited in the the idea of liberation. So it was people of that ilk, you know. Um, Aretha Franklin, she was one of my first. Um, Rebecca Flock, um, she was brilliant as well. I, I didn't really start out too much on the reggae side, you know, although I used to go to a lot of blues and things like that. Um, because for me, their records, they're always singing about love and women, and for me, that wasn't doing it. It was like, how do you, how do you get beyond that? Yeah. There's something, there's got to be something, you know, m- much more important. But just touching on the, the previous subject, which was about I, um, sort of identity, belonging, and, and, and where you're from and things. And I, I jokingly say these days that I, I've done Desert Island Disc, and I've, I've, I've got a photograph published in Wisdom, the critic in Almanac, and all I'm waiting for now is um, for months done to be on my allotment, and then they, I'll be a true Englishman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All by Trevor McDonald is a G. Like, I shouldn't have been up when he was reading the news. <laughs> but when I saw him, he just looked like a family member. You know? So, like, I think he was, like, someone, I was like, okay, cool. And it's, like, comforting. Like, he was telling us what was going down in the world. And I was like, cool. I respect it come from him. But it was more of a subconscious thing. Um, and then, like, if I'm being totally honest, a lot of my blackness I learned was via America. Yeah. And the age of 12 that was the mecca like i was like yep i'm going there i want to be there this london has got nothing for me <laughs> and it's when i started studying like my a levels that i was able to research a lot more and choose what i wanted to know that i started to see a lot more of what i could see of myself yeah. in in history books and and photography books and stuff and i the media shifted like there was i i remember that feeling of I think it was when Wretch went to number one with um Yeah, uh, yeah, and I was like, no, it wasn't even that it was the year before when when um what is this Don't boy's know. name? Tiny Temple went to number okay. one. And I remember I was reciting all of the words to whatever the name of that song is. And pass out, that's it. <laughs> and <laughs> And my friend was like, yeah, but do you know all the words to And then insert Lil Wayne song. And I was like, I don't. And I remember feeling like, he's like, yeah. And I was like, but why should I have to? Like, I like this song. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is this is the song that is number one right now. Um, and But it felt like there was a shift. I remember feeling like this is happening. And as I've been turned an adult and real, I can see it. And it's been nice to feel like there is a plethora of people now that exist in all different tiers that I'm like, okay, cool. Like, I'm the sort of person that if there's a black person involved, I'll show up and support it. Like, I don't care. So, like, there's so many times I've just been somewhere because I saw a, a black face or I've watched a TV program because they had a black person in the advert. And I think that just reminds me how sparse certain things were because it felt like if I didn't watch it, I would be missing my one opportunity to feel like something resonated with me. Um, and I look back at certain programs and I'm like, I don't understand why they, those those models don't exist now. Like, a, sh- a show like Desmond would be fantastic now. Like, even watching show. it, I'm just like, what an epic show. But where is the equivalent? Like, I know there's Peckham been... as well. Yeah, exactly. He's Guyanese as well. Like, special place for her. Um, R.I.P. as well. But, um, yeah, the like, there's obviously been so many shows that have come after it that are like... But I just feel like... There, I had to definitely bounce between America and England to feel seen. And then it, one day, it's just like, actually, I don't need them anymore. And now I'm like, I'm so glad it was, I wasn't Because I just, yeah. <laughs> what about you, Abundance? 
Um, I'd say the same, like a lot of music and like sort of like looking at America. But I don't know if America, like I never really felt like I begged it or nothing. Like I just liked Stephanie Child. <laughs> like, Me too, don't worry. <laughs> but I was also very gassed because I thought that I looked like Kelly Rowland. So, <laughs> you know, that's how big this. But like also, I, I don't know, like being little, like it didn't feel like there was an imbalance because there was also like Mystique and there was yeah. like Lisa Murphy or Miss Dynamite, like. I loved them. And then it's like, when I got to a teenager and I started like re-listening to their music, I was like, hold on, this is stuff I was listening to when I was little. Like, <laughs> okay. So it's like, I don't know, like I'm just quite interested in music anyway. But then um, being Congolese, like I've grown up on Congolese music, like sitting down and watching a two-hour concert and it's, that's my Friday night. Like. <laughs> so I think I love the music, but I love the dancing even more. And like the Congolese girls, what? <laughs> nah, don't get me mad. Even like the way they dress, their hair, everything's nuts. And in my heart and soul, I was like, if I wasn't a Congolese dancer in a past life, then that's my journey in this life. <laughs> that's what I just like. I just loved it. And like my parents, like just admired them. Never really in a way like, oh yeah, you're gonna be a dancer. I don't think they would have rated it. But <laughs> I don't know. It's like just looking up to like the confidence, just like even in their bodies and like just how they talk. Like they're almost like mandem and it's like raw, like. That's just nice to like grow up with, but then there's also like the politics, like the Nelson Mandela's, and then the Patrice Lumumba's, like sort of like from like independence era onwards. Like I'm born on Ugandan Independence Day, so it's always been a thing. Like this is the story of how we got independent, the first president, da da da. da. But it's like my mum will sit there and like watch like a five minute speech, like a ten minute speech of a politician talking about fun Britain or whatever so it's like just stuff like that I guess but then what's her name Campbell <laughs> love a bit of Naomi but just bare things but the way I am like I've grown up with so much older cousins I'm the oldest child of my parents but I've got loads of older cousins so it's like it's also been very local like I've got a lot of people just around me that I look up to and that I love and that have looked out for me so yeah I feel like I'm quite grounded that's why I don't need to like Feel like I need to be Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. What about you, Bilal? Yeah, I'm gonna, not on the music scene, but Mallory Blackman, man. Mm-hmm. My mum went out, of, went out of her way to raise me reading books by women of color. And you know, when I first read Noughts and Crosses, I was like, I think I was nine or ten, and I was mad young to be reading that book. I was like, whoa, like mind blown, man. And, and even till this day, it's a book that I still reread and reread. And I get my little cousins to read it and stuff. So yeah, I think there's a film coming out for it soon, though. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, is it already? Oh, okay, sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> but soon, it's coming, it's coming soon. Um, but yeah, I guess one of the next questions I wanted to ask you guys is, we spoke about this transition from when, you know, we didn't feel represented within the media to now there's like an oversaturation. Everyone wants to be, you know, standing next to Stormzy or sponsoring Yawande from Love Island. I'm, and I'm just saying, it's true, you know, just getting, what's, is it Miss Pat or something like that that she got to deal with? Yeah. Yeah. So like like it's happening now. It's kind of becoming a trend to kind of associate with you know blackness in this country. But when do you guys feel that that shift actually happened? And do you guys feel like it's a genuine shift or is it just a trend? I personally feel like it's a very capitalist move. I feel like a lot of black isolation from conversations, cultural conversations, is just a lack of cultural capital, and beyond that, like actual physical capital, if we can't buy into something, why do we matter? Because you can't fund whatever I'm doing, so you don't count. And I feel like as there's been, there's enough of a generation, there's enough generations that have grown up in this country now that there's um, there's tears, there's, cla- there's, there's black middle class, there's wealthy black people, there's a lot that we now quote unquote matter. So we have positional power. And if there's, I don't know, now let's say just under 3 million black people in the country, we can buy if we if we're appealed to that's three million times five pounds in one on one product so it's like sudden yeah exactly suddenly oh actually you know they're a market that matters we can market to them and it it will be a return and so i don't doubt that there is a shift in how society views black people in general like it might be minimal but it has evolved but i definitely just think it isn't it isn't it convenient that now that you know we have spending power and if we deny spending here is going to have an impact on certain things and and if we solely inject our 
our resources into ourselves, we can flourish without the necessary. Um, that they just turn around and be like, you know, no, no, you you can come in now. Like you're allowed. And I'm like, I I don't doubt that you know people need to get get paid. They want to be recognised by certain institutions. It, it's still always going to be remarkable for certain things to to be on your CV and not and whatnot. But I do side eye a lot of collaborations and things because I'm like, hmm, would you care if this person wasn't so and so? Yawanda is a very good example. I hate the fact that she's the poster child of the debate, but she, I feel like she even said it recently that she feels like she can't even believe in her own beauty because she feels like she's being pandered to now. And it's like, as a black woman, we're often so marginalized in beauty, which is such a commodity that we buy into. And also is profitable. Beauty is money in this life. If we are told that we aren't beautiful, we're at, literally at the bottom. We can't, we can't socially climb. Do you know what I mean? And it's like, now where we have someone... Um, I mean, just this year, like there's obviously been people before, but like um, her, that she, it, it's like people can't even buy buy into it without thinking there's an agenda, and it's like why can't she just be who she is? Because with there's so much politic politics around us just being and existing and just being in the conversation. Why can't she just be stood against the other five girls that are doing the the edit for in the style? It's like oh, it must be a it's just it's a token thing, and it's like see, like even we cannot believe where we're at because it's so ingrained in how we see ourselves and how society sees us. So I am very skeptical on why there's been a shift. I feel like everyone should capitalize off it, get your money, do what you need to do, <laughs> run away, go to your back to your country, whatever you're doing, I I'm here for it. But just don't be surprised if in five years time someone else is getting like the spotlight, to be honest. I'm, that's my stance. I want to kind of yeah, wrap yeah. up the that question plan. was like when did it start right well i think people have been recognizing black people's talent from time mm. like elvis Presley, and then man were just teasing right so, <laughs> and but even today like that's still happening but all it is is that there's a lot of free content out there just go on twitter people are producing funny ass content for free every day and saying intelligent stuff for free all the time and putting themselves out there and there's a recognition because it's publicly available stuff and it's like free content that it doesn't belong to you no more so people are just going to take it and then use it and repackage it and brand it as something else but i think that that's i think the rise of social media and twitter has made hasn't changed what's already been happening it's just made it more readily available and it now means that because of that there's a trend that people are jumping on because it's there and it's easy to see yeah i i remember as I say, back in the day when you know when a black person appeared, we had from we had a shop, you know, and um, we used to have um, uh, the Desmonds and some other shows. When but in a week you'd probably get one black person appear on the TV. So we're in the shop and it might be Peyton Place, you know, and there was a black nurse in Peyton Place, uh, which is an American sitcom. And someone would shout from our living room, come quick, cause on TV. <laughs> you know, <laughs> cause, you know, a black person is yeah. on TV and every sh everyone will just leave the shop. You're a bit like the Simpsons, really. You know, when they rush to the city, everyone will just rush to the door and every, all, every angle is occupied. Because you have to move quickly because they were never on for very long. Um, so, you know, I've, I've, I've gone from seeing that to where, if you like, um, you know, you can... Be competing as to who you want to watch. You know, whether you want to watch a, 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 a black person on this program or in that program. But but I remember, um, I, I think it must be difficult for young people, especially if your parents are kind of conscious. Because I remember my son when he used to go to. I was always very conscious that we're not represented. And when he went to the cinema, I, I would ask him, um, you know, how many black people were here or what was in the play and so on. And one day he came home and before me asking him he says that there were three black people there was one is, and i thought you know what i, I need to stop there <laughs> you know because he I, i'm probably taking the content away from him and and he's concentrating on something else so i i really stopped there but i think there will be changes you know but unless you control the tv station unless you're doing the commissioning unless you're writing the script unless you're having that input then i think your contribution is not really that much valid I think perhaps more importantly, you need to come back to Neil. Um, you know, the capitalist idea in that Neil uh, needs to open the TV station so that you can have a greater say in what, what we're doing rather come than on, Neil. pandering to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah uh, he, needs, he needs shaking up actually. Mm. I think he got, A, you should respect and look at his work and, and write about his work and include him much more. But I think also he's a little bit lax 
you know, as I think a lot of you London guys are. I don't <laughs> think the capital has got anything to do with it. Your capital is in your heart. Just run with that one. It don't matter where you're there. When they want you, they will find you. I remember in our first building this thing, um, somebody will see somebody on TV and they'll run in there, Mommy, Mommy, there's a black man on the TV. Yeah, oh yes, yeah, yeah, oh yes, of course. Well, that's what we say. But we didn't say black, we say cuz, cousin. Every black person was a cousin. And you go down the road and you see a person, it's a cuz, yeah. you know what I mean? And it was, you had to greet a cuz. And you'd find you going down the road, three policemen surround the black guy, and you'll find uh, uh, somewhere in the distance across the road, but not too far, there'll be another group watching the procedure, and they wouldn't leave until that kid gets home, get away safely or something. Because we didn't have mobile phone to film it, we didn't have anything, and somebody will need to know, you have to go to the phone box, or you might have to, you know, push the policeman out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> so guys, that's the end of the panel, but you lot are going to get a chance to ask some questions for about 15 minutes or so. We've got a mic roaming around. But quickly, could we just give a massive round of applause for our amazing Cool, so we'll start off with the questions. The mic is over here. So who wants to go first? Hmm? Nobody know I asked nothing. We've got one here. Hi. Um, so I just basically something that Bilal said before made me think of that question this question. Um I feel like even though you might be like we might be seen as like token people or whatever in um, certain situations, don't you feel like that is kind of needed at least as a stepping stone to make it to wherever we want to get to? Because at the moment we're not like at the the top of the of the pecking order. Yeah, exactly. So. I feel like we shouldn't really like be offended if if we do feel like we are token people question mark I I I I think you have to remember you know texting dead nothing said you have to think of all the, the the young black youngsters who are have been killed and continue to be killed on the street um, the misrepresentation of them in terms of culture, history, and so on. And I, I think while we should accept the offers and the gestures that have been given to us, we really, you have to think about times past, and people really had to put their wheels, their sh shoulders to the wheel to get things changed. And I see, why, see no reason why it shouldn't be the dif different here. I think, like I said before, I think you guys are sometimes quite complacent. I think you should get up you know, and do something. Your parents did a hell of a lot. There's this question about what did my parents do for me? Trust me, they did a lot. They suffered and they continue to suffer. And it's not for you to ask what your parents do for you, but what you're going to do for your children. Steve. Um, <laughs> can I ask you that question? Oh yeah, I, I do feel like it's true that, you know, there are, for people to be, for us to get to next steps, there needs to be people in place to be able to do that. But I feel like simultaneously we have to be able to be building our own thing as well because if we're solely reliant on one structure, it's going to take a lot longer to get to a place where there's an, equal, there's an equilibrium because I feel like no one gives up power um, freely. So if you're in a position of power, it's either going to be a fight, which it currently feels like one, or you can just manoeuvre that, you know, you can have your thing and we can have ours, we can exist together. That equally might be a problem, but it's I've just seen it in different ways. I feel like sometimes I definitely forget we live in a in a homogenous society, and in London it's kind of forgotten because you're constantly in a space where you're around difference. Um, and I think an example for me is my mum works in the legal system. She's an immigration judge, and the irony is obviously she was an immigrant, and now she decides the fate of immigrants. But she was momentarily working in Stoke on Trent, which is a very white area and I think as I was I was with her one time and she was getting on the bus to go to work and the looks that we got and I was like 
I could, I know you can't really pinpoint if it's a racist look, but you're like, that's a racist look. <laughs> and, and I was like, the irony is that this woman is actually stopping the one thing you want to happen. You don't want anyone who's been in this country. She's the one that's deciding this, that, and the other. And yet you're judging her of the way she's got locks. You're judging her of how she looks and whatever. And I was like, yes she's sacrificing herself being the token and being the, the person for that but it's very hard to just be that person all the time like i'm sure she she flourishes in her her life outside of her job where she can just be herself and i was like maybe we shouldn't have to always trade off going to work and putting on that that guard and we can just create spaces that we can work and be safe on our own we should like some people are going to be the sacrificial lamb and shout out them and for those that want to just create their own avenue and don't have to be have to always have their dual identity pushed in front of them then that's i think that's also very important too can, can i just while i remember the rest of hugging the mic <laughs> for a minute if you if that's okay with you it, it's just that i mentioned neil but there is a program that just came to mind that our parents used to bail themselves when they came here apart from making the blues party which subsidized the rent and all the other things they did we had a thing we called partner the susu and how many people are there in the room today? I put, let's say 100. Would that be overestimating? It would be overestimating. Well, let's say 100. If 100 people put in their hands together and put 10 pounds in one kitty when they leave here, and they do that every week, and one person get that kitty at the end of every month, I mean, look at that. That's a rich person. You have to devise. That's what I'm saying. Our parents devise these things. And the youngsters, what they do, they dismiss these things. You know, parents, they do nothing. You just need to build on them. All that, that, that is required for that to happen is trust. You know, that's all it needs to happen. Well, get on with it. La, did you want to touch on that point quickly? Real quick. So two things. One is that I think what I was talking about was the difference between diversity and inclusion. So diversity is we want all these people because we have to have them. Inclusion is we actually want them here and we're going to include them as part of this. And the second thing being that it's very, and you've said this, that it's very difficult for us to like reimagine a new possibility to exist in a structure whereby the media, the press, the this, the that is owned by a specific set of people. And we judge, we judge success to be like we've been included in those spaces as opposed to we've reimagined what could be possible if we were to create our own. Very good point. Shanice, do you have a question about the point? Hey guys, this is just out of curiosity, but thank you for your time because it's been amazing. Um, so when we talk about, like obviously I'm from Birmingham and I've moved to London and I've been here and I plan on chatting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I plan on obviously Not the staying. Move, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> I, I plan on staying here for quite a while, but I do, I do. It is quite important to me. It, it, it is quite important to me when I talk about Black British representation. And recently, I've been like starting this conversation about when we are looking at like Black British culture, mm. we are a lot of it is coming from a London lens and it's coming from when we're looking at the UK people then automatically just think London but we're not looking at Southampton, Leeds, Manchester, Bolton, Bradford, Bristol, Birmingham and it's like for me it's like how do you guys feel like we can include that black British experience and talk about it as a whole rather than just representing London thinking that that's the place to be because again when we're talking about all these structures and all these things those structures there are still institutions that exist in those spaces but if we only capitalize it off it here those people are still going to struggle do you know what i mean so it's like how do we include that and enable our communities that exist in those subcultures and those sub communities to enhance a community where we're all sharing our experience i, I would say this is a good example take it on a roadshow come to birmingham go to glasgow go to um, Leeds, Manchester, you know, these are what we refer to as the front line in every one of those cities. We define, redefine the front line and then rebuild the front line. There are many kids, there are many talent. And, I, I, and, you know, a lot of people say London. I really, you know, Bob Marley say you're running, you're running, you're running away, but you can't run away from yourself. And that's one of the main reasons why I never want to leave Birmingham. It's not where you are, it's what you do, you know. And I've always reckoned, well, um, when London want me, they will find me. I don't have to go look, I don't have to find, to run in to find something that perhaps, let's say where dogs are not invited, food is not provided, so where I go that far. You know what I mean? Not that the field. So it's about building your own structures. You know, I, I, I have to apologize if I, if I sound like I'm talking down to people, but I, I, I just think that you guys need to wake up because the, the whole Brexit thing, which hasn't been mentioned, there's a lot of changes, there's a lot of reasoning, there's a lot of stuff. And you need to organize yourself because others are organizing themselves as well. So, you know, start with a partner. 
But move around. You can buy a mini bus, higher cost. Our parents, <laughs> our parents used to used to, and we talk about food and culture. You know, our parents used to. My grandfather used to hire two mini bus and the Skegness and and Barry Island, and we went on what I refer to as a black man holiday. But it wasn't really. It was more like a working class holiday because everyone used to do that. You, you cook the curry goat the night before, and you put it in the boot of the coach, and your rice, and you go there, and you have your party. You know, you have to redefine where you are, what you want. No one is going to do it for you. You know, it's about you taking control of your destiny. And you can. You have to shake the tree to pick up the fruits. Okay, we have another question here. Oh. Hi, sorry, I have another question or like a statement with like a question mark. Um, so basically, I feel like um, like the term black British is such a difficult term for like some people to identify with. So even like when, when a lot of you were speaking, I felt like I couldn't even relate. Um, and I feel like that is something that is particularly highlighted um, with like Caribbeans and then Africans, um, especially like Caribbeans whose um, grandparents or whatever came from the um, Windrush generation, I feel like there's there's so there's so much stuff that was said today that like is so difficult to identify with. Um, question mark. Sorry, <laughs> whatever you feel about that. Yeah, for sure, man. Blackness isn't a monolith. Let's be real. Like, black British experience isn't going to... It's like, you can't say there's a black British experience and expect the whole experience to be the same. And I don't think it can because it's an umbrella term, right? And I think even within our experiences, they're mad different from each other. And I'm sure with everyone in the room, we could sit and talk for hours and all have different perspectives on that, right? And I think if you can see it as an umbrella term, maybe we can start redefining what, if there are subcategories to that, if people want to go into that and do that. But I think as a like an all-encompassing term, it's useful to talk about one specific set of people's experiences, even though there's mad difference in that. Um, so as a young person that hopes to um, eventually build some sort of legacy for uh, us, myself, ourselves, um, what were the motive, like what kind of motivated you to continue? Because um, like, like you said, like you did have to make a sacrifice in terms of maybe not receiving financial gain or um, status or anything that some people would um, look to as a marker of success. Um, so for yourself, like what kept you motivated? What kept you going? I, I have to say that I, I didn't choose photography. It chose me because if I did choose it, I'd have given up a long time ago. <laughs> and, and again, if you're able to listen to the... the, the, um, the uh, like, what is it? Desert Island Disc. You know, one of the things I said in there because I was playing music, there's one when I was in the dark room in the wee hours of the morning when you know you can't you know pay your rent or you can't buy food. One of the things that was I played a record. I can't remember the type the the artist now, but it was I'm not giving up. Not giving up. You know, um, there's this. I had to have the thing that you know sacrifices have to be made. You know, people will suffer, but somehow I believed in what I was doing, and I still believe in what I was doing. I took three years out of. Um, uh, out of um, uh, photography, I, I was divorced, um, and I all I did really <coughs> is um, I, I went to work with my with my uncle. He had a, a he had an old van, um, and we used to clean people's back garden, and and it was just incredible because I wanted to get away from the art speak. I want to get to the real people and. We would go and clean people's garden, and I remember this day we went to this person's garden, and we charged them thirty pounds to clean the garden, and they say, "Can you come back on Tuesday for the money?" But we were depending that on that money to go down the bull rings to get something to eat that weekend, and I have nothing. So you know, it's about that dedication to yourself, to belief in what you're doing, believe that what you're doing is likely to make some change, which is what I say: sort your politics out, sort yourself out sort your head out and concentrate what you're doing. But I mean, just coming back to the partner thing, if you can't find something to, 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 to gather around, we have it here through this, this emblem you have in front of you here. Everybody give five pounds, they need the money. Just give the five pound first time. 
next time you set up an organization, use that money to set up something where that money can benefit you as well. You have to start somewhere. You have to believe in something. And don't worry about making mistakes. A lot of people say, oh, you know, this mistakes, this mistake. If you don't, how can you learn if you don't make mistakes? Mm -hmm. You have to make mistakes. And when I used to teach photography again, I would say to the student, make as much mistakes as you can. Because when I'm not here, you won't understand how to correct it, you know? So please, make as much mistake as possible. But in order to grow, help him to grow. When him grow, he's got stronger hand to pull you all up. We've got time for a few more questions. You've got one here? Can on. I answer that quick? Okay, yeah, go on. Um, I think for me, what keeps me going, I just like what I do. Like, I don't know how to define it. I don't know how to explain anything. But I feel like any day of the week, I can get up and find something to do, somewhere to go, somewhere, someone to chat to. Like, I like to keep to myself, so I don't always do that. But I just like the options that, like, the cultural feels like gives me and I think I've been doing stuff like this since I was about 15 and I think it was like a very like good time to feel like comfortable and to feel like respected in different environments whether I'm like working in a gallery or um, reading poetry at an event or whatever I'm doing it's like I just feel respected and that's probably the most important thing to me like no one should ever feel like they can take this away is it and when they do like <laughs> it's just love. So I think for me, it's like just falling in love with my own power, mm. I guess. And just also seeing the effect that that can have on people, whether that's someone that, a stranger that's moved by something I've said, or it's my brother seeing my work up on the wall and just being proud. Like just certain things like that. It's not really tangible things. I think I'm just like a very emotional girl anyway. I'm quite a spiritual person. So I think for me, it's like, them kind of things of just feeling like okay yeah like this is what I was like made for and one day it will make sense and I think just like that excites me like there's things to look forward to in life and there's people to take with me and that's probably the most important thing so it's like there's no reason to stop yeah um yes I'll stand up for this one um this is something that I worked out myself um, I had nobody to teach me in my, in my house or what have you. I decided I want to be a photographer. And um, nobody could tell me how to do that. Not he being the great man. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and something came in my head. First of all, you must know yourself. All you guys must know yourself, know what you can do and what you cannot do. If you know, if you can do those things, then you'll get through in life. And that's what I did. Somebody said to me, Ken Lock, let's run over there and steal that cow. I said, no, no, no. I don't want that. I'm not interested. But I know myself. I know what, is, what I can do and what I cannot do. So when anybody comes to you and says, yes, I'm ganja, then no. <laughs> I don't want that. I know myself. I don't want this stuff. So you've got to be strong. And that's what I did. I just decide to know me, know what I cannot do and what I can do. And that's what made me. Thank you. We've got time for like one one more question. We've got one. One over here. Front. I don't think they can hear you at the back. That's why they ask me a question down there. Um, yeah, I just want to say thank you so much for curating an event like this, and I think it is important, and I think that is a driving force to, um, and we kind of touched on it with the conversation of, of, I think it's really about who is telling the story, not just having the token people, but having those stories underlying that are created by black forces, and I think moving forward, um, there needs to be, there needs to be a strong black community, and I think that's beautiful, and that's brilliant, and, you know, I've get really annoyed with the ideas of, you know, people thinking this is a race thing by progressing black people. I think this is an equity thing of coming up to that point. And we've spoke about that in, in many ways tonight. And we spoke about the people that along the way inspired you. And I just wanted to ask, like, moving forward, I think, again, with this, this idea of community, 
I think it is big to uplift our community. So I would like to ask each of you who is someone that in this moment right now is doing something that's inspiring you for the future. If you could just big up one of your, I don't care if it's your friends or a celebrity, just take like a minute each of you to tell me about somebody that you see a bright future in. It, it, it seems like you were reading my mind because I was thinking <laughs> about this guy called Andrew Lindo. He's a young black guy in Birmingham and he started uh, with a little magazine that he would print and try to sell around the street. Sometimes he gave it away free. And then uh, a few things happened to him. He lost his mother not so long ago. And what he's done now for Black History Month, he started rewriting and printing these books. On his own back, he's been to the States, he's been to South Africa trying to promote it. But what he did recently for Black History Month in Birmingham, he hired this great big hall, which was previously an old bus station. He rented out each table for 100 quid. You could have a table and come and sell your wares there. And the place was absolutely packed around the back. There were people selling food, whatever it is, and you donated five pounds to go in. There was no charge. If you couldn't afford it, you went in, but if you could, you could give five pounds. And it has been talked about so much in Birmingham. It's just unbelievable. And it's just a simple idea that one person has. And it is, it is really lift the spirit of the community in the area, which is why I'm saying, find something to call this around, find something to build around. And I'm very serious about supporting this project. I point it to you because I don't know who else is involved with it at this stage, or if you guys are all involved, whoever is. You should really go downstairs, get a big plastic bag and empty your pocket. Give something to Naga Mesic. Perhaps it's a drink, it's a coffee, which you don't need anyway. Give some money. We are in a capitalist society, we're talking about it. You have to put your money where your mouth is, otherwise it's just hot air. If you want to borrow this plastic bag, you can have it. <laughs> <laughs> it's holding on to it. Uh, I have to think. But I've decided, uh, Pat McGrath, I think for me, is just Who's that? She is a um, uh, black makeup artist, but now she's a brand owner, so she owns her own brand, she named after herself. Um, she's British as well. <laughs> and she's probably about 50 odd, mm. something like that, in that sort of ballpark. But I think for her, for me, for her, I only actually found out of her, found out about her within the last sort of five years. And by that point, she's been so accomplished. She's worked with so many people. And everyone's, her legacy is that she's just the best. She's, her standard is this high. And now she owns a brand like that's worth a billion dollars or something like that. And she's like one of the only women to have that. And I feel like beyond it being like, you know, makeup and something I'm very interested in, I feel like, especially as a black woman, we are the demographic that spend the most in beauty and yet have the least retention of keeping the money in, like keeping it. And I feel like over the last 10 years, I've seen a lot of people go into the beauty industry and, you know, a lot of girls are becoming hair um, hairdressers and uh, beauticians and stuff. And it's really beautiful to see that their worth is being celebrated and that, you know, a black woman can do my hair. She can also be living off that. And to see someone at the pinnacle of that and be so highly regarded in the industry across everyone it's just very inspiring because she her, her name comes with a standard her, her makeup is very expensive and the worth of it just seems to be synonymous everyone's okay, like okay with that and i'm like that's just fantastic so she's my inspiration i'm very inspired by julia Zaneva. um right now she's like the sort of london anchor on apple's radio station beats one but i think obviously it's an amazing thing what she does but i think just knowing like the history that she comes from obviously she's from tottenham so gas anyway <laughs> but just like she sort of to me represents like women and the girls who was part of grime culture as it was happening in like the early 2000s and as it's just been going on who never really like get spoken about or remembered and i wouldn't say she like Every day she's screaming about Graham, but that's like what her roots are. Like she started off on pirate radio and she wasn't an MC, but she's like knows so much of them. She's in a position to help people and just like represent something that I think people overlook. Like I could talk for ages about women in Graham, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, like she's wicked and she's like, even just as a person, when you look at her, I think I'm really interested in like. Not interesting, like I just rate her for how comfortable she is in herself as a person. And yeah, she's like just a wicked woman. <laughs> <laughs>
in a different uh, sort of field, Temi Mwale, she's a long-term yeah. friend, but a young woman who's just recognised a need in her area for like intervention programmes for young people. Um, she just grew up in Barnet, realised that the intervention programmes were shit and were designed by people that weren't in touch with those young people that work with, that they work with, and she just went and did it herself. And to me, that just shows the power of when I see a need, I can go and fix it myself. Um, just finally for me, I just want to shout out a guy called William Adwasi. He was on one of our covers, um, I think in 2017. And for those who don't know, he runs a, a watch company called Vite London. And um, the, the, I guess, initiative behind is that behind with every watch that they sell, um, a part of the profit is used to help put a child, an uh, underprivileged child in Africa to, you know, through school for a year, buying um, school uniform and, and helping with fees and stuff like that. And for me, that inspires me because I think those are the business models of the future, profit with purpose and, um, you know, not just doing it for the sake of doing it, but actually working it into your business model. Um, so for me, he's someone who's really inspirational. Just wanted to shout him out. Um, yeah, I think we'll, we'll wrap it up. I, I just, I'm going in my wallet and I'm getting my 10 pound notes. <laughs> <laughs> who's, who's the treasurer? You're the treasurer. Yeah. You cannot give your gift away. No this is for building this for everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, just want to say a massive, massive thank you to the panel. Thank you, Bilal. Thank you, Abundance. Thank you, Erin. Thank you, Danny. Thank you, Julie. And thank you, Anita. It's really been a pleasure to host this um, event tonight. Thank you and come back again. Woo!